0: And so it's important for us to understand that character is built in the mundane. It's revealed in the big events. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Elephants
1: podcast. If life is a journey, we want to help you wander well. If life is a story, we want to help you tell a good one. And we are beginning a series this week um, uh, focused on on what it looks like to be faithful in what God has called you um, over the long haul. We want to we show uh, some, some individuals, some leaders who really have embodied so many of the principles that they teach, that also we teach here at Student Leadership University, and, 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 and just give us an example to look up to especially as we walk through some, some times in which the headlines have not always been favorable. And there's been some people that have uh, uh, made some very poor decisions or been discovered that they had some, some secret lives that they were living. And, and so in this time, we're hearing from a lot of you who have reached out and said, I'm confused. I don't understand. I don't know how to process. I don't, I don't know what to do with all this. And so we thought it would be incredibly helpful, and I hope that it is, Taylor and I both hope that it is, um, that, that we, we just sit down and have some conversations with some people that we look up to and ask them some pretty, uh, some pretty honest questions um, uh, that are going to be both principle-based but then also heavy on the side of application. And we're so excited because uh, our, our, the first person we get to have a conversation with in this series is Dr. Ed Litton, who's the uh, senior pastor of Redemption Church, in Mobile, Alabama. I've looked up to Pastor Ed for, or Dr. Litton, excuse me, for a long time. Um, in fact, uh, a gentleman that worked with SLU for many years and actually is uh, bring, still comes back and volunteers every year. Brad Hobbs is, is uh, I mean, just used to serve at Redemption Church, and Brad thinks the world of Pastor Ed. And, uh, and so I've, I had the privilege of meeting Pastor a few years ago. We had an incredible conversation in which I remembered every bit of it, and he probably doesn't remember me. But I, I was so, so grateful for what he shared with a, a table full of uh, young guys who are serving in ministry that day. So, Pastor, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time today.
0: Grant, I'm so glad to be here. I love you. I love uh, Taylor, and I love your audience. So this is uh, this is something I've been looking forward to for the last several weeks. Yep, so excited.
1: Thanks, Doc. Why why don't we just start with with just a, a Kind of a simple question so that uh, our students can kind of get to know you a little bit. Um, uh, share with us a little bit about how long you've served in, in your role and, and you've been plugged in there. And and I have a secret question, and that is, uh, as I was researching for our conversation today, you your education is – I think I saw that you've got a degree in theater somewhere, so I'd like a little <laughs> bit of did. insight on no way! That's did, awesome. I did, Taylor. I just so I, if you could help solve that trivia question for me, sure. I'd be very grateful.
0: Yeah, I I actually took took me six years to get through college, and uh, because the first uh, half of that experience, I was at the University of Arizona, and one of the things I one of the majors I had out of ten thousand was uh, I was really trying to find myself. And boy, I, I sympathize with anybody who's there. Um, But one of them, I had enough uh, theater credits, and I did acting in high school and some acting in college, and uh, did some stand-up comedy for a while, but I was horrible at it. And so (laughs) I'm glad glad I got that out of my system pretty quick. Are
1: there any old
0: things? No, no, they've all been destroyed. We've researched all those
2: those places. Oh,
0: man. The, uh, then I worked in television for a while. I worked for an ABC affiliate as a sports reporter. I used to edit film, all kinds of stuff. So,
2: oh yeah, you have a voice for that. I can yeah. hear it.
0: Oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I, I actually I actually got my broadcasting license when I was 13 years old. Back in the old wow. days, and that's a long time ago. You had to get a third class broadcasting license to be a DJ. And there was a guy in my church named John Moore, who later would uh, sing with the Gaither Vocal Band. And John was about three or four years ahead of me. And he gave me a book and I studied it. It was an FCC book on how to take the test. And so I took Uh it and got it, which was amazing. uh, So, yeah, I've always had an interest in that. um, And it's interesting what it does. I was with a repertory company for a while and uh, we would travel and just learn how to read an audience but uh, I was actually running away from God during that time period. I, God called me to preach the gospel when I was about 17, and that was right about the time I was finishing high school, heading off to college. And I ran f- hard for several years and then came to the end of myself of that, and God was so gracious and merciful to meet me there and remind me of what His call was on my life, and I surrendered to that. Mm. And, uh, but so when I graduated from uh, Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona, when it was still a uh, Southern Baptist school there, it mm-hmm. uh, I had enough credits to double major. So I double major in religion and theater.
1: Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that was, uh, that solved a question that I had in my head as I was uh, prepping. What? What? Uh, but you presently, obviously, and you have for quite a while served there in, in Mobile, Redemption Church, uh, multi-site church, very effective, just doing a lot of amazing stuff. So would you kind of, Help us understand a little bit about your your where you are serving presently, how long you've been there. Sure.
0: Well, I was a church planter after I graduated from seminary. I went back to Arizona, planted a church with my wife Tammy, and we were there for seven and a half years. God brought us here in 1994, and we've been at uh, Redemption Church now uh, for 27 years. This summer. Wow. And uh, and so it's it's been a long ride. People ask me what's the secret to longevity. I don't have a clue. <laughs> except every time. Every time I wanted to leave, nobody wanted me, and every time I didn't want to leave, somebody wanted me. So you know, it just—it's never worked out. And I just trusted that God was in that. So
1: yeah, uh, the, the, the Eugene Peterson the title to one of his books, uh, and of course he got it from Tertullian, but uh, uh, about uh, a long obedience in the same direction. I'm misquoting that. Is it? Did I do no, that? No, you're right on. Yeah, and it, then, that's
0: a great book. Yeah,
1: but and and the quote just. A long obedience in the same direction. That there's not. There doesn't seem to be a secret to it, but there does seem to be a um a a a continuity among healthy leaders who are willing to have that kind of long obedience in the same direction.
0: Well, let me tell you what I think trips us up as leaders, which can lead to other people being disillusioned or disappointed, like you referred to in your intro, uh, is that we think life is about big deals Mm -hmm. like elephants, but in fact. They're like little things every day, and it is a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, Jesus uh, came to the mundane. Hmm. Jesus uh, lived among people in the most mundane ways. That's why some people wouldn't take him seriously. Yeah, and and so it's important for us to understand that character is built at the mundane. It's revealed in the big events. Yeah, and so there are a few big events in life, either crisis or terrorizing events, or. Sp- spectacular events in our lives where we shine in a moment and all of those things reveal the character that's formed in the mundane things. Mm, that's a good word. I think it's Oswald Chambers says, you know, uh, no, I, I got ahead of myself. Uh, my favorite quote by Chuck Swindoll is that life is daily. Mm. Mm. It really is. It is. That's
1: really 27 years. Um, and, and I'm not going to ask you, since you've already given that disclaimer of uh, the secret to longevity, but but I will ask you, you know, I, I love my favorite definition of motivation comes from Victor Hugo in the book that would eventually become the play Les Mis, in which I think it was the character of Cosette who described motivation as invisible labor. And mm. it seems to be one of the more important characteristics of healthy leadership. What would you say um, are the motivating factors to, to the deep roots of, of your long obedience in the same direction?
0: Mm. That's, that's a powerful statement, and that's a powerful question. Well, uh, there's a lot of things. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, an abiding, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ is the most significant part of our lives. It's hidden. Uh, it's not for other people to see. But it's in that intimacy with him that we find our strength in the storm. Mm-hmm. It's where we find our stability in life. It's, I've described it as a ballast in a boat uh, in the storm-tossed sea. And so how does a person survive? It is ultimately um, an intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. And all of us can, can and that's the good news, and need to grow in our intimacy with him. So I'm going to tell every young person I speak to, every opportunity, or anybody for that matter, um, that the best thing you can do is nurture an intimacy with, with Jesus. And that mm-hmm. takes daily time in His Word, daily time in prayer, daily time to put on the armor of God and resist the naturalness in you that wants to put you at the center of it all. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and so <clears throat> that's my daily struggle, and it's my daily joy. Um, first thing I do is get a cup of coffee in the morning. Sometimes that's at four thirty in the morning, and and go straight into a dark study where I my because I'm I tend to be a little distractible. Um, <laughs> they didn't have a name for it when I was a kid. <laughs> Today it would be called ADHD. Yes, but when I was a kid, they did have a. My dad had a topical solution for it. There were no pills to take. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he got his belt and said, "Son, you need yeah. to slow down." You know, yeah. but, uh, I but so that I'm
1: that theater class when you were a kid, Pastor. I believe that's yeah, what that's
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> it. And so th- I sit there because I want don't want to be distracted, and it's it's a challenge to focus on him. But boy, what a blessing it is. Yeah, and and I'm gonna tell you where that really came home in 2007. My wife Tammy. Uh, we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary and she was suddenly killed in a car accident mm-hmm. and the next morning when I woke up I thought to myself this is a nightmare I'm glad mm-hmm. it's over but it wasn't and I didn't know what else to do except to do what I had been doing
3: mm-hmm.
0: I want to be clear it wasn't always the practice of my life because usually when I woke up I had 10,000 things I wanted to do or needed to do yeah but to start with him and to say okay, what do you want me to do and this is the secret to stress and anxiety too most of us have a list of things we think Jesus wants us to do mm. but they're really just projections of our desires onto mm. him mm. wow and and there may just be there may be one or two things because by the way he knows the frame of every person and he knows what we can bear and you know you you mentioned Brad Hobbs Brad Hobbs has got to be a genius. And, and he, he yeah. has never ceased to impress me with his capacity. Uh, I mean, he probably got a PhD in six weeks, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it, well, they slowed him down because of some other things, but he yeah. could have done it in six weeks. Yeah, But, but I'm not Brad. I, I'm a totally different kind of person, but God didn't make me to be Brad. He made exactly. me to be me. Mm. And, um, and so, Learning those things and learning the rhythm of what it means to walk with the Lord is such a blessing and it has long-term benefits. The other thing too is a young pastor, when I planted a church, I had so many dreams and visions. I wanted them all right now. Or I was, I thought myself patient. I think I'll wait a year or two and these all these things are going to come true. And, and the fact is, most of them did, but it took several years, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And, and it's because God is sovereign over everything. He is lining things up that you cannot see. Mm. And so the best thing to do is be faithful to Him, do the work that He's called you to do, and watch and see over time how God produces the fruit. Mm.
2: Mm. Wow. That's so good. And so continuing in this, though, the idea of a leader who faithfully serves and executes that role that God has called them to, you've talked a little bit about disciplines, you've talked about some habits just within your um, past answer, but I kind of want to stop for a second and talk about relationships that you might've formed in your life Mm -hmm. and just ways that we can encourage those that are listening of the types of relationships that you have that have pushed you to these disciplines, to these habits that have helped um, you just in your walk with the Lord. Uh, Maybe just list a couple of people um, who have impacted your life in that way.
0: Well, that's, that's a great question. I, first of all, you need someone who's further down the road than you. Mm-hmm. You need someone that you admire. And please mm-hmm. don't, but hear this carefully because I think you mentioned Ravi and the terrible disaster of two deaths. I mean, obviously his, his physical death, but then the total destruction of who the man really was in our eyes. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and both of those things are happening. So we have a double grief mm-hmm. along with his family. Uh, I can't imagine his family's going right. through right now and the people of his organization who depended on him so much and thought he was something very different. So you need someone ahead of you that you make yourself accountable to, but that you also watch them. And, and it, it's not hero worship because you, the closer you get to a person, especially one older than you, you will see their faults. Mm. You will see their, where they stumble and you will see their difficulties and their struggles. Uh, and hopefully they see them too. Uh, but then you need someone behind you. You need someone younger than you. Maybe, maybe you're only a month ahead of them uh, in the gospel and in your Christian experience, but you need someone else you're encouraging. And then it helps to have a couple people to your right and left. But at the end of the day, you need to be thinking strategically through your life of having a mentor and mentees and other people that you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but friends are critical. Uh, God did not intend. He says from the very beginning, it's not good for us to be alone.
3: Mm.
0: And so yeah. we need each other. And th- the thing that's interesting is, in my generation, we focused a lot on discipleship as curriculum, discipleship as process. What we missed was relationship. Mm.
2: Yeah.
0: And you cannot you cannot disciple someone outside of relationship because
2: mm. much
0: of the Christian life is caught, not taught.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was. I'm sitting here taking notes as you're talking. I, I have to always summarize things because. My brain thinks in terms of images, stories, and bullet points. And mm-hmm. um, I wrote down, as you were talking, discipleship is the classroom for relationships. That's
3: and good.
1: Or, or relationships, excuse me, or the classroom for discipleship. I just wrote it down wrong, which is p- part of why I have to write it down and read it back to myself. <laughs> um, the,
0: you and I are a lot alike. Yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> sir. I got a theater degree that I didn't get credit for. Um, there you go. The, um, doc, uh, y- you know, leadership, if leadership was thought of in terms of a narrative or a story, um, then there's going to be a handful of plot movements that revolve around certain themes. And in your leadership journey, um, there's been a couple of, of, of themes that have risen or causes, we could say, this, that have risen to the surface. One of those is the subject of race, racism. Racial reconciliation, uh, and and you have you have become a voice uh, that that people have looked up to because you didn't just have a conversation, but you you moved that conversation to application. Mm. And and so, if you don't mind, would you would you just speak to the role that um, that a theme or a cause or an emphasis uh, would have in? in uh, uh, the leadership journey and and then the, the, the role that that specific theme and emphasis has played in your own leadership and in, in, in life.
0: I'd be glad to. Uh, it's, been an, it's been an interesting journey. When I first moved to Mobile, Alabama, it was so – because I came from such a starkly different culture, mm-hmm. not just the driest climate to the wettest climate in North America, mm-hmm. but uh, from a very lost cultural group to a very gospel-exposed cultural group. And what was interesting, though, the racial tension and the racial division in this community was obvious to me. Mm -hmm. So in typical 34-year-old senior pastor status, I thought, hey, well, I'm just going to address this. Boom. I started preaching about it immediately. And I discovered what's uh, uh, known as passive aggression. And my people, who are sweet people, I love them dearly, but they just kind of like, you know, well, we don't talk about those things. And I kept talking about them. But the point came where it was obvious to me that if I kept pushing the envelope on this, it was going to stir up trouble. And here's what I did. I justified in my mind not doing it. And I said to myself, look, this isn't your problem. You didn't cause this problem. You're not going to cure this problem. So I'm going to focus on the gospel. Mm. And so I I self-soothed for years with those words. And, and I would often remind myself when I would see clear examples, even up to the time of Ferguson, and I just self-soothed saying, that's not my problem, I'm here to preach the gospel, until I realized something. And it took a lot of pain and suffering in life for me to see this, but as a part of the total work God was doing, and that as I saw that this was about the gospel. Mm. Because Jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And I realized I had, I had a couple of really solid relationships with African-American pastors, but not many. Hmm. And, and my church is predominantly white. And, and so we always had, and, and obviously we don't think of ourselves as bigots. Hmm. And, and I don't know of any believer who genuinely wants to be called a bigot uh, or prejudice or a racist. And so I don't use that terminology about my tribe my race, my ethnicity. Uh, because I, I believe what the scripture tells us is we are to be reconciled one to another. But for instance, I read an article this morning that uh, my city is one of the most segregated cities in North America. It's in the top 20. Wow! And most of those find themselves in the South and most of those, many of them in Alabama. But we knew that the last slave ship to offload in North America was here in our city. Hmm. and uh, and And so there's a, there's a, there's a, terrible history, and there is a terrible divide between the body of Christ. If half of this community is of a certain race, how are we going to reach them with the gospel if we don't cooperate together? Mm. And and so after Ferguson, a group of pastors and legal uh, folks, lawyers, and, and some judges and others just started meeting. And at first, we were all very high productive type people. We're, we have goals and ambitions. We're going to solve this problem. <laughs> well, yeah. We we were we, we didn't realize what we tried to bite off. And someone wisely counseled us who was schooled in racial reconciliation. They said, you need to just stop thinking you're going to fix this and start getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. So every two weeks we met for lunch at a car dealership uh, in their conference room. And we talked and it was painful. When men and women began to open up about what they were experiencing, not in 1959, but last week. Mm. And, and we heard the wounds and we talked. We, we shared ignorance. We, we, we debated what the real source of problem was. And we came, after two years, we came to the conclusion. It seems like a long time. Yeah. But looking back on it, it was, it was so necessary because what God was doing is he was making us learn to love each other. And and so you hear a lot today about CRT, critical race theory. That never, we didn't know what that was. Mm. All we knew was the gospel. I remember one of the earliest debates we had was, uh, is this an education problem, uh, or is this a sin problem? And we debated that vigorously. But we, uh, I stood on the side, it's a sin problem, not a skin problem. But I also stood on the side that the gospel is the only cure. Mm. And and people have heard that as an excuse. So there was a lot of resistance to that. But we all came to the conclusion together. And I think, by the help of the Holy Spirit, that that's exactly the answer. And it wasn't exactly because I gave it, but it's just exactly the truth. And it's what's held me there. It's what's held our my brothers and sisters there. And so, in the last seven years, we have enjoyed an amazing, growing relationship, and we're attempting to spread that in our city. Mm. You know, so that's how I got involved in it.
1: Yeah, you know, it's you you, you basically described a big principle that that we've had emphasized throughout our different programs by different individuals and leaders and speakers, but proximity changes, uh, perception.
3: Yes, uh, it, does. it
1: changes how we see one another. It gives us a patience for one another, it gives us an empathy. Um, and, and you know, you, you don't hear those stories of things that didn't happen in 1959, but happened last week unless you're willing to sit in that room and unless you're willing to actually do life, um, with one another. And, and, and I just, I, to me that, that just that one simple idea that proximity changes our, our perspective, that's a, that's a phenomenal example of that. One of the things that a year ago, um, we wrote Jeff Wallace on our team and I wrote a, a a blog called letters to our sons and it was based Mm. on our conversation surrounding this subject. Um, of course Jeff is a black man, I'm a white man and and how we were trying to raise our sons uh, to think differently and and so I, I talked to my son about white privilege um, and uh, of course he's talking to his sons and and but we put that in print but one of the things that uh, that came out of that is is that this little statement that we try to say over and over again and that is, you you can't weep with somebody who weeps and have a footnote or a disclaimer. Right? Um, right. Y- there's no I'm going to have compassion for somebody. Oh, but no, you just you just right. you just love. You just care and you listen and you climb in the ditch and you weep with those who weep and um, and uh,
0: um, and so thank and, you. For- and you have to. You also have to stay at the table. Even when the Judaizers walked in and Peter saw him, he had to wipe the barbecue pork off of his face and say, oh, you know, yeah. I'm not eating with these people, these Gentiles. But mm-hmm. but he was. yeah. And those ribs tasted pretty good to yeah. him. You know? So <laughs> the, the truth is you you have to identify with one another. You have to feel each other's pain and struggle, and you have to love one another. And I, I think that – and I've learned this from John Perkins who has become – a hero to me, Mm. that uh, he said, Ed, it is wrong to call white people bigots. And he said, just like it's wrong to use certain words about African-Americans. Now, that's coming from an Mm African-American who has been in the fight. And and, and in the civil rights movement and the man who's been beaten. And if there was ever a man who had a reason to be bitter, and he isn't because of the gospel. And, And so we keep coming back to that. My motivation is not so that we can feel good about ourselves and say, I know I'm not a bigot because. That's The, right. the reality is we have to deal with a lot of things. I, I'm a student of history, but I'm just telling you, I've been re-schooled in the last seven or eight years. I've had to read books uh, on my own. I would desire to read them, but to understand different perspectives. And it has it has helped me, and it has encouraged me.
1: Hmm. You know, this is one of, of of many examples that has risen to the surface. Uh, obviously, some some moral issues that other leaders have faced have risen to the surface as negative headlines. And so, one of the challenges that um, that I I fa- face or hear or listen to uh, as we minister to a lot of students, thank God that we get to on a, on a regular basis, is there is a growing mistrust as 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 Gen Z, if you want to call them that, but this generation look as they look to leaders and leadership. Um, both there's some there's some implications from that from the political realm of things, mm-hmm. but also uh, the 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 evangelical world and literally it's across the map. There is a any discipline sphere of culture. Uh, there seems to be a growing cynicism and a little bit of a turn of a head like is about about leaders who've been in their positions for a long time what would you say to let's say you, what would you say to a 17 19 year old young man young lady who wants their influence to count who wants to look up to some examples and they desire longevity in their leadership how would you and i know this is a broad right, question no, a but question. how would you how would you how would you what would you say to them to encourage them sure. not to give up on this? And by the way, not to quit looking to examples. Right.
0: right. No, that's absolutely right. Don't become cynical. It a couple of verses, one in Proverbs, it says that uh, you're to guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. So you have to protect mm-hmm. your heart from cynicism. But, but Jesus said something in the Gospels. He said that uh, that in the last days, men's hearts would grow cold because of fear. Mm. And so what happens is our hearts become hardened to people outside of our – and so what we do to to protect ourselves is we hide inside the church or we hide inside a group of people who think like us, look like us, and vote like us. Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Now what's interesting is this last election, there was a piece in the uh, Washington Post in August that said most people voting did not know of another person who didn't vote just like they did Mm -hmm. across the country, whether it's liberal – uh, Democrats yeah. or uh, ultra-conservative Republicans, they don't know anybody. What does that tell us? It tells us that we have sifted our lives or stacked our lives in such a way that we're not around people who tell us anything but what we want to hear. And, mm. and what we've, what's, what's become of us is that we've been so infected by social media where they watch the algorithms of what we click on that they begin to give mm-hmm. us what we want. And, and, yeah. and so if we like this particular stripe or we're concerned about this particular issue, we'll get more and more of it till we start thinking everybody thinks like me. The gospel requires mm. something very different of us, and it, it requires us to engage the other, the person who's not like mm. us, to love them. And so while you'll sometimes be hard-pressed to find examples of people who do this, keep looking. They're there. Keep reading. Mm. Keep searching. Don't be afraid to go out to find new people. Now, parents probably get paralyzed with fear when I say things like that because, well, what about bad influences? You can learn from bad influences, but you you have to learn to discern. You have to learn that all human beings have something that they're messed up on. Mm -hmm. And so you can have respect. By the way, that's the key. One of the things that my generation has totally failed to do is that we talk about good, bad, and ugly, but the reality is. What we fail to do is recognize that every human being is made in the image of God, the Imago day. Now, maybe it was just mm. me, but I didn't get that in my college and seminary experiences as much as I think it would have helped me if I had gotten it. This generation, your generation, I see doing a far greater job of saying all people are created by God, thus they have value. I don't mm. care what lifestyle they're in. I don't care what party they belong to. I don't care who they voted for in the last election. Everybody has value, and we may not see eye to eye. But when you approach people that way, it is, it's is—it's transformative mm-hmm. because you're at the table with them. You know, one of the big fears mm-hmm. for a pastor in getting involved in racial reconciliation is what if the people I'm involved with have some bizarre theology that I don't agree with? Well, they do, and they will. <laughs> yeah. and, and, but I'm going to tell you, I've had opportunities to speak truth from the Word of God into my brothers or my sisters who... Who don't think like I do, and who don't see the Bible like I do, and at times it's been it's been absolutely uh, absolutely amazing how God used that to further the gospel and further their faith and strengthen the Lord, and mine too.
2: Wow, wow, that is so so good. Um, well, so what we want to do as we close is uh we do want to do some rapid fire questions so i'll kind of start off um and just kind of ask you some quick ones these are meant to be like i mean 15 seconds each i know some of these are a little bit more than that answers, but just about 15 seconds just some quick here's what it is uh so the first one is what's the best book that you've read in the past year
0: oh boy that's good uh I, actually, I read one. I love history. I read one called The Flamethrower. <laughs> it's about a guy who won a Congressional Medal of Honor on Iwo Jima, and he was a Marine flamethrower. It's not clean. It's, I'm not recommending it because there's a lot of bombs that are dropped in there, so to speak, but it's a great book.
2: Okay, awesome. Okay, love it. Love it. Um, let's see. What about – could you list a few habits that will help just us continue to grow in our thinking and that might have helped you can, um, just grow in your leadership?
0: Yes, the the habit of uh, engaging the Lord first in the day, engaging other people with a smile, be curious, stay curious about people, learn about people. Because you learn about people doesn't mean you have to give up your convictions or your values, but it's always good and it makes you winsome, and it helps you win people ultimately to
2: hear the gospel. Okay, awesome. That's good. That's good. And so kind of going off of that, though, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
0: Um, besides, uh, uh, buy low, sell high in the stock market. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me think, wow, that one kind of you threw know. me, but I've never done that. I, I, do, I seem to do just the opposite in the stock market, but, um, best advice ever given.
2: It can be one of many.
0: Oh yeah. No, there, there there's all kinds of, them. I, I think the smartest thing I ever did is, uh, I let my heart make some real key decisions in my life. And, and not everyone, your brain needs to make the, especially the, the stock market decisions. Okay, okay. But man, when I laid eyes on Tammy and, and now I'm married to a woman named Kathy that I love dearly. And, uh, and I would just say I, I gave myself to that, that heart. It was good.
2: Mm, that's awesome. I love it. Um, well, then last one. What's your ideal daily routine look like?
0: Yeah, if I get up early and have my time with the Lord, and, and that goes a while sometimes. I study the my for my messages and for study tasks that I have in front of me. I engage people on a daily basis as a, as a pastor and a leader of a team and a staff. Uh, I love engaging people outside of the walls of my church building. Uh, those are, are pretty regular routines. Uh, the other thing, too, is Kathy and I love the outdoors. We climb 14ers mm-hmm. in Colorado. Uh, We've done two. We'd like to do another one this summer. A 14er is a 14,000 foot high mountain. There's 53 of them in Colorado, and we love doing that.
2: Oh, I love it. That's awesome. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Well, I mean, thank you so, so much for being with us uh, just this week and just taking the time out of your schedule. I didn't mention this at the beginning, but um, I grew up at a church who had you come speak frequently and you are good friends with uh, the pastor that I grew up with um, at Sherwood, uh, Dr. Michael Cat, And so, again, it's just a privilege to be able to um, just talk to you today, interview you. Uh, Brent and I are so uh, just thankful for your time. And we are very excited about this series that we will be doing. And actually, um, Brother Michael will be on the podcast um, the next couple of weeks. So.
0: Everybody pray for Michael, too. He's fighting yep. a battle and yep. uh, he needs our prayers.
2: Yep. And so... Um, we'll definitely be talking about that uh, just with him, but yes, specifically be praying for him. Um, but again, thank you so much, and uh, Brent, you want to say a couple words in closing?
1: Yes, Pastor. Thank you so so much for your time. It is so so valuable, um, and I promise you, this is a, a conversation that we're going to share with as many uh, students as we possibly can. So just just not just from Taylor and I, but from Dr. Jay Strack, our entire team, and. All the students who are part of the SLU family, thank you for giving us a great insight and allowing us to uh, to learn from you today. Thank you, sir.
0: We, lo- we love you guys. We love Jay. We love SLU. And it's, you guys have had a massive impact on our church and our student ministry. And great leaders are now serving the Lord because of SLU, and we're thankful.
2: Mm, well, it's a privilege to be a part of the team and to have gone through SLU as well. But um, And I also just want to say thank you to our listeners for uh, just joining us again this week. Um, if this is your first time, hey, thanks for being here. Uh, we come uh, here every Thursday. Uh, we will be on a podcast uh, platform near you. So be sure to come just listen more if you would like to join in uh, just on these conversations that we're having. You can always email us podcast at com if you uh, have anything that you would like to share or ways so that we can be specifically praying for you and your ministry um, or just wherever you're at as a student, college, high school, whatever it may be. Uh, We want to be with you and help walk uh, through in life and we'll do it together. So again, thank you guys for being with us and we hope we'll be back next week. Thanks.
1: See you next week.